Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. It's Sunday. Don't have a lot of news today, so it's probably going to be a pretty short podcast, but that's okay. we got a lot of listener questions that we're going to get into, and that's going to make up the, the body of this podcast. I do want to thank the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Blenzo Oils, Plum Creek Funding, Premier Vapor Blasting, 612 Suspension, Works Connection, Fast Foundry, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of those companies for being a part of this podcast we're going to get into some racing here soon. We're only, uh, what, three weeks out, something like that. So I, man, it's, it's been a long year as far as waiting around. I think we waited most of March, all of April and all of May. And now we're waiting again, all of July. So yeah, lots of downtime, but it does give me a chance to engage with you guys. And I, I really enjoy that. It's a big part of my job is, is speaking with dealers first, of course, as we are a wholesale company with Western power sports and fly racing, but of course, engaging with customers is a very large part of that as well, trying to grow our brand and just get feedback on what customers want and how we can do a better job of, of building products so they can have a great day of riding, whether it's a dirt bike or side-by-side or whatever the case may be. So that leads me into some of these questions. Now, before we get to that one change that's going to be announced, and I think it already came out in Racerhead, maybe on Friday on RacerX, the Redbud national dates changed. They moved them back one day. So instead of a Saturday, Tuesday, it looks like it's going to be uh, Friday, Monday. And don't quote me on that. I'm going off of memory, but it might be posted somewhere by now. I'm pretty sure it came out on Friday on Racerhead. But from what I know, that was at NBC's request. They wanted to move the television schedule. And I think that in effect dictated the schedule for the race date. So it sounds like Friday, Monday, um, I don't know that it changes things a whole lot. I guess we'll be racing on Labor Day if that if that is true for Monday. I'm guessing they're moving it around football a little bit, but I have no evidence to support that. I'm just purely speculating. But that was the latest I heard. Everything else was still on track. Just the, the doubleheader at Redbud got uh, adjusted slightly, so... If you're planning to go to Redbud, if you're planning on taking days off from work and you know making a, a great week out of that event, double check before you take your days off of work and, and book hotels or whatever the case may be. Verify that my facts are correct and uh, make sure you don't have to, to change your travel plans. Now get into some of these questions. The first one I have is from Mark Spillman. I actually met Mark a couple times um, going back, to, man, this is going back like seven or eight years or something like that. Uh, great guy. Um, he actually came to Boise, I believe, once. Saw him there as well. Uh, but he's 
he's mentioning things about racing and families getting involved in you know our sport of motocross and whether it's a good idea bad idea how loretta's works all those things and several aspects to this question and i'll try to consolidate them a little bit so we don't get super long-winded but basically he's asking about amateur racing and as i said many aspects to it i think what he's really coming down to is our is our system working and that would be the the shortest and simplest way to put it loretta's all the amateur nationals, which that's changed a lot. Kids now only race the the majors. It seems they don't do as many local races as they used to, especially when I grew up, I can remember we raced every weekend somewhere, whether it was locally, whether it was a Florida, Florida motocross series, gold cups, winter AMs, amateur nationals, of course, but we were going racing somewhere. And I really, I like that. I think my parents liked it. It gave us something to look forward to on the weekends and it kept me really sharp you got so many gate drops and I think kids now suffer a little bit from that because they don't get as much racing experience. Yes, they do race more amateur nationals than I did, but they also race many, many times less per year than I did. Racing was very commonplace for me. I I really didn't think too much about it having a race where now I think the kids freak out a little bit because there's so much emphasis put on each time they do race instead of it just being much more repetitive. And that's where the word reps come from. And if you've ever heard Steve Mathis kind of talk about podcasts and why he has gotten so comfortable with them, it's from doing reps. You just do so many podcasts and so many shows that you get more comfortable with the dynamic. And I think you improve accordingly. So there's no difference, honestly, for me doing shows with Steve and, and Jason Wygan, these guys, we have chemistry and, and they flow because we've done so many of them. And this industry seating podcast is only helping me grow my range and become more comfortable with the dynamic of sitting here talking to myself and it not be clunky and not herky jerky and have some sort of flow. And that's, that's not always easy for me. I definitely feel like I could get a lot better at this and and I'm attempting to do so for your listening enjoyment first and foremost, but for these racers to get back on, on topic, I think the system does work, but it is a very unique system because we don't have college sports, which, you know, every mainstream sport that we would compare ourselves to has some sort of collegiate aspect to it, or even a high school aspect. We don't have any of that. So it basically goes from amateur level to pro level with no in between. I think that's good and bad, but there are, there are different aspects to it. And Mark goes into some of those where he's talking about people buying rides and is that healthy? And does that happen on an amateur level? Because it definitely happens on a pro level. And where I start to look at it, I, I compare it to the European road racing dynamic and it's absolutely prevalent over there. You really can't go racing on a team anymore unless you're a phenom, unless you are the absolute best in at least your country. And I'm going to say maybe in Europe, you're probably not going racing unless you're paying the way, right? You're, you're bringing your own sponsorship dollars and you are applying them to a team And in return for that, they're going to put you on said team and maybe you get some sort of salary. Maybe they give you some percentage of those proceeds, but in almost every situation, parents or sponsors are 
paving the way financially for that racer to go racing. That's just the economics of, of their sport over there right now. Now, thankfully motocross and supercross isn't there yet. We do have that aspect in a, in small doses And Mark asks here, if that's happening in amateur level, and I'm sure it does, but I haven't seen it as often. I can't even give you one specific example of that happening pro wise. Yes, it's happened for years. It will probably continue to happen. A lot of times it comes from the international side though. If a rider comes from South America or I guess Europe would count there as well. Uh, we've seen it happen with riders coming from Mexico, coming from the South Pacific. That's a fairly common practice. I don't want to say common because it's, it is rare, but it's not one that really surprises me. And, and it's pretty easy to, to notice, you know, if you just see a rider that his skill level isn't really indicative of the program he's on, there's usually money behind it. And that's okay. I personally do not have a problem with that scenario at all. I've seen it happen on multiple teams. I've been, I've been close to it in a couple situations and for teams, they need financial help period. The, the sport is not just overflowing with free cash. Uh, that's not a new concept for, for motocross and supercross, as you can imagine. So if a family has the means and good for them, I, I I'm a capitalist. So if people have money and they want to spend it to help their child or give their child a chance, by all means, worst case, the kid's not going to do very well. And it's going to be poorly spent money. That's up to the family to decide that. And clearly they have extra money to spend and they can afford it. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. You know, having their child chase his dream on the other side of the world for the teams, it's, it's a pure win. And you hope that the team is good enough at math to make sure that the, the dollar amount that they're receiving covers every expense plus some you know, they, they will need to make money for their time and their trouble. Because in most situations, the only reason that the money is incoming is because the rider's not good enough to earn that ride on their own. That's, that's kind of a prerequisite for this situation, but I've never really had a problem with it. You know, I've heard other people have problems. I've heard people complain and say, Oh, they're taking a ride from someone else. Well, no, they're not that, that ride would not exist because the team couldn't afford to have that position Otherwise, period, that, that position on that team would not exist. They would have one less rider than the dollars that created the extra spot. So in reality, it didn't hurt anyone. If you're faster than that rider, you're going to beat them anyway. You probably didn't have the money to go pay for the ride, nor would it be financially responsible for you to do that. So it did, it's just a win-win for everybody across the board. And I always kind of looked at it as a positive because everybody involved was getting what they paid for or getting what was agreed to. And yeah, it's more riders on the gate, more money incoming for the sport. And that kid, he's lucky enough to have parents that were willing to send him to a different country to go racing. He's getting to live out his dream. So if you want to find a negative in there somewhere, be my guest, but I never really viewed it that way. So Mark continues on with his question. Um, and this is honestly one of the most well-written, uh, questions I, I've ever come across and it's really detailed. So I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase a lot of this stuff, but he really has two more main points. The first he's asking me be, to be realistic about when and if 
rider should go down a different path if it's not working right because there there is always that moment and I think it's realized for different people, or maybe it goes the other way and they, they understand that they can make this happen, but there always seems to be that tipping point of, am I making any money? Is there a realistic opportunity to make any money? Does my skill set and my talent level indicate a chance that I'm going to go somewhere with this? And it's hard to be self-aware. I think that's one of the most challenging aspects of it. And you probably lean on those you trust. Hopefully your family members are honest and can make that deduction without hurting feelings. But honestly, this sport is, has gotten really expensive. And, you know, to Mark's point, he's asking, when do you have to really pull the plug and decide to go a different path? Because for myself, guys like myself, Tim Ferry, uh, we all went to high school. There were a bunch of us that graduated high school, Isaiah Johnson going way back. And I even went to college for two years and it it was an ongoing question of, am I going to really keep going? Am I going to actually race for a living? And this is going to be my lifelong path, or am I going to forego this dream because I'm not good enough and I'm going to go to school, finish school and go into the professional world in some aspect. And I had a a few opportunities to make that decision. I really wanted to go racing, but I also understood that school was important and I didn't want to mortgage my future if racing didn't pan out. So I was always kind of hedging my bets a little bit. So I I did take school seriously. And and fortunately for me, school came pretty easy, especially, you know, elementary, middle school, high school. It, It really came easy to me. I had an ability to read something once or hear something once and have great recall. So I could hear it in class, read it in class or homework or whatever. And then I would immediately be able to recite that or remember it on call. And that, that did me very well in any sort of testing, all my, you know, I graduated with a 4.3 GPA with honors and all these things. So I went to college for two years and, and college was very difficult because in college, they kind of flipped the script on you. And and instead of hand feeding you all the information and and teaching you the information, they expect you to go learn it on your own. You have to do your own reading. You have to develop great study skills. And as high school came very easy to me, I didn't develop those skills. I was dependent on the teacher teaching me. And once I learned it, we were good. Well, that's not really how college works. and, And I struggled with that. And not to mention, I was also racing professionally. So while a lot of my friends were spending time studying on the weekends, that's all they would do is study and try to get caught up. I was on an airplane or traveling around the country with my dad and going to a race and also worried about practicing and training and trying to keep up and improve. So I was trying to kind of burn the candle on both ends. And all that was happening was I was compromising both of them. I wasn't studying enough. My grades were definitely not going the direction that I needed them to go. I can remember taking a geology class and having zero idea what the professor was talking about. And there was a test coming up and I had literally no clue what any of it was. I was really, I was terrified, honestly, because I was destined to fail in that class. And then in racing, I was doing pretty well, but I also felt like I was not really making the most of my opportunity. An example, I remember Tim Ferry and 
kid named Andrew to Spain and a bunch of riders coming up to Gainesville to practice and Forrest Butler and Karsten Butler and all these guys were going, they were all going to practice and it would have been a really good day to kind of learn the pace. And I was 18. So, uh, this was my second year, first year or second year of racing. I can't remember, but I remember them all going out and they were all going to moto and it would have been a really cool opportunity for me to go ride with Tim Ferry, who I wasn't really friends with yet. And it would have helped me to see where I was and how I stacked up. Well, I had to go to class. I I couldn't go with those guys. I had to go, you know, be a part of a university. Like that's just the, the compromise that I was making across the board. And it wasn't in my best interest on either side, but I really didn't know that I was going to make it racing. I wasn't killing it. I was making main events and I was scoring points outdoors, but it, I wasn't making a lot of money. I certainly wasn't doing well enough to support myself. So there was no certainty in my future in racing. And I remember at the end of my second year of college, and I don't even think I was all the whole way through the second year, I kind of came to a crossroads and I remember leaving steel city in 98 and I got seventh in the second moto, the, the big bike class, which was pretty good. I went uh, 11, seven that day. No, that didn't. I went to 16, seven. So, but that second moto was a real breakout for me. And I felt like it was going to help me propel into a ride for, um, the 1999 season. And it did, and it did. And one of the prerequisites for that ride was, Hey, you're based, you're not going to school. Like if we're going to pay for you to go racing and we're going to put all these resources into it, you're, you're not going to be trying to do both which I understood there, they were spending a lot of money. And for me to not be putting every ounce of myself into would have been selling them short. So at that time I withdrew from school and I'm sure my, my mom wasn't thrilled about that, but it was all agreed on, right? There was a, an opportunity in front of me and I'd been working towards this for, you know, a decade to try to make a go of this pro racing thing. And luckily it, it worked out somewhat for me. I I didn't make, you know, tens of millions of dollars or anything, but it afforded me the life I have now and gave me opportunities that otherwise I don't know that I would have had. I don't even know the industry I would have gone into had I just decided to leave racing and go into school. So it was the right decision for me at the time, but there are definitely days. And I, I would say every day that I wish that I had my college degree. I wish that I had a business administration degree, and maybe I'd gone on to get a master's or an MBA or whatever, which I think was the path I was headed towards. And I guess it's, you know, never say never on that stuff. But the question that Mark's posing is when is the right time for someone to decide this isn't going to work? I think that's a very unique decision. And I would recommend to all parents that are listening to this, don't mortgage your child's future because the chances of making money racing are very, very small. Think about all, all of the racers that, you know, grew up with, you see racing amateur classes now that never make it right. Even if they get the pro license, which is pretty common to get a pro license, I don't think is too big of an ask, but the difference between getting your pro license and actually building a life out of racing and being able to support yourself and pay your bills from purely from racing that's such a very small percentage of people. I just think it's a, the, the odds are terrible, you know, and that, that sounds very depressing and it's a very pessimistic outlook, but I think it's realistic. And I think that many parents have to keep realism in the picture 
and don't mortgage your child's future, whether it's in school or business or their ability to make money in another field because of racing. And, and I see it happen all the time. And it's a question I get asked very often. And it's one I have to tiptoe around because you certainly don't want to deter someone's dream. I would have been very bummed if someone said, Hey, you're not going to make any money doing this. You should probably do something else. I would have probably been pretty bummed and not had a positive reaction to that. But I also didn't leave myself only one way out. I was going to high school and I I took high school seriously and I went to college. And even though I didn't finish, I was aware of the need for it. I was aware of the need for education and that racing was going to be very hard, even much harder than I knew. And the economics of racing are more challenging now than they used to be. There isn't as much money in the sport as there was 15 years ago. That's just a cold, hard fact. So for every Eli Tomac or Ryan Villapoto or Ryan Dungey that comes out of the amateur ranks and, and goes on to make millions, there are tens of thousands of other kids that don't. And that's fine. That's, that's true for every single sport, baseball, basketball, all the kids that are running around the country on these travel teams. The likelihood they're going to make any money doing that is very, very, very low. But I don't think you have to sacrifice your education or your future possibilities outside of the sport just to give your chance yourself a chance to make it inside the sport. Mark's kind of leaning on this question too, so I'll just go straight into it. I don't think you have to drop out of school and travel full-time around the country to make it professionally because if you practice, you know, after school or whatever on the weekends, there's enough, there are enough hours in the day that that talent will rise to the top. If you get good enough and show up at the amateur nationals that are out there, which, you know, there are the, the five majors and even the races on top of that, you're going to get help. These, these team green people, you know, Ryan Holiday is a friend of mine. Chris Wheeler has been with Suzuki forever. All these people that are affiliated with these OEM supported programs, they're going to find you if you have the talent. If you're showing up at the races and you're doing well, the rest will take care of itself. That's what these guys do. They're super smart. They've been around this sport their whole life and they can pick out the talent and the potential. So just to wrap this up, I don't think you have to sacrifice one to do the other, right? And and I would really implore parents out there to continue on with homeschool. And if that's the direction you choose, you're going to pull your child out of school and and go chase the racing dream. At least give them a chance by enrolling them in homeschool and take it seriously. Give those kids an education. So if the dream doesn't pan out, you know, when they're 16, 17, 18, they have some sort of knowledge base to work from and they can actually, you know, they, maybe they have their high school diploma they can go get their GED and then they can go on to secondary education. At least they have the chance for that. And that's so critical because I run into it all the time. It's an unfortunate side of this sport is that there are a lot of kids out there that don't make it. And then the next thing they know, they're 20 years old, 25 years old, and they have zero skill set. They don't even have a working base of education and it really limits their future opportunity forever. And I, I hate to say it and I hate to see it. It, it very easily could have been me too. I, I lived it. So take it from me, learn from my experience that there is another way to do it. Tim Ferry made it. He made it to factory level, made millions of dollars, and he graduated high school. He went practicing every single day after school. 
it can happen. There isn't one recipe for creating success in the sport, even though it's the trend. That is absolutely the trendy way to go about it is, you know, the parents sell their house, they buy this huge motorhome, and they go all in on their son making it in this sport, hoping for some big ROI on the back end. And I'm here to tell you that in most cases, it's just not there. It, it's simply not. This isn't Major League Baseball where they're going to get signed out of high school and make really good money and all of it was worth it. That's It's just not there. It, it It's such a small percentage of riders that are ever going to make real money doing it. And I see people making really questionable decisions. Now, if you are a, a really successful father and you can afford to, to work and you can send your child to MTF, GPF, you know, south of the border, Tim Ferry's Academy, Red Dog Academy, wherever, right? And you can afford that and you are continuing to work and your family is doing the homeschool thing and you're training full time. Hey, so be it, right? I don't know that that's necessarily always the wisest thing, but I can certainly understand it. I think my biggest concern is just when I see parents go completely all in, right? They all, they quit their jobs, they sell their house, and then all of the pressure and, and every financial aspect is riding on their son making money, whether it's on the amateur level or the future professional level. I just, I don't think that's a wise decision. And if I could stop one person from making that poor decision moving forward, then it's all worth it. So not trying to be on any high horse, that's for sure. I've made thousands of mistakes along the way and I'll make some mistakes later today. I'm sure of it. But if I can share wisdom from a lifetime of this sport, so be it. I'll take that opportunity. A little bit about the sponsors here. Pirelli tires. What more can I say? If you want performance out of your tires, choose Pirelli. Now, every week I talk to you about the 32 mids off because it, it is my favorite front and rear tire on the market. It's motocross season. We're three weeks away from the first go around. A lot of you are on your way to Loretta Lens right now. If you're going to pick up some new tires for the race, I say you choose Pirelli. I think for that track, you can't ask for a better scenario. Track can be wet. It can be hard. It's super ruddy and you need straight line acceleration because a lot of those ruts, you don't really get a good drive out of them. And then once you kind of pop out of the rut, you need to be able to really accelerate quickly from corner to corner because there it's really a tight track, a lot of corners. And if you don't have the ability to break hard, which that 32 front is, is great in that scenario has a really positive feel. So you can break super hard and super late coming into those ruts roll through the corner and then get a lot of straight line acceleration to the next corner, you're going to get smoked because that's what that track is all about. So that would be my recommendation. 32 soft for all you Loretta lens goers. And then if you're just racing motocross too, I don't think you can go wrong. It is the tires. I chose every single national. I didn't even have to ask what they recommended. That's what I wanted every single time out. Blends oils. They're making a comeback folks. They've had a lot of their plans to rail, which is the bummer, but David Schloss and those guys are not deterred. They're in this for the long haul and things are already picking up. The biggest thing is just all of you guys getting familiar with the products they have to offer because they were a mainstay. I mean, they, they go back so long. Their tradition is so rich throughout history and they're going to make it happen again. We're going to get back to the glory days of Blenzol. So go check it out, whether it's 455 or 460, whatever the right usage is for you, chain lube, they are a fully functioning oils company 
And I'm here to tell you a little bit more about them. So check out Blenzall at Blenzall is their Instagram, Blenzall.com, 10% off mixed pints. When you go on the website, Plum Creek funding, go check out the mortgage rates right now. Now we are having a conversation this week and I like to stay in touch with the sponsors and just kind of find out what's on the horizon. What are the best deals going? And we came across just credit scores and the mortgage rates are slow, so low right now it prevent or presents I'll learn how to talk eventually. I promise you one of these weeks, I'm going to learn how to talk. It presents a great opportunity for everybody out there to refi or to buy a new house. And if you've been watching the news, you'll see that refis are through the roof. They're over a hundred percent up from this time last year. And that's because the rates have dropped like a percent and a half. So take advantage of the opportunity, call Zach Morris and work on your credit score. Because if your credit sucks, he's not going to be able to help you as much as he could otherwise. And if you look up online, you can find ways to get your credit score up, pay off your credit cards, you know, get rid of some of your debt, obviously things that most of us all know, but your credit score is a very, very big aspect of getting these low mortgage rates. So get your credit score up, get your mortgage rate down and save yourself some money. I talked about it last week. My last refi was going to save me like 64 grand over the course of my loan. So that's a real life example of what this can do for you. And that was only going down from 5.8 to four. You can get it under 3% now. So think about how much more I could have saved if I had done it now versus then. Also want to thank Works Connection. Go check out the Pro Launch Start device. It is the only way to get a good start. Well, I shouldn't say that. Using a start device is the only way to get a good start, but I recommend the Pro Launch Start device. I believe it is the easiest to install and the best one for your bike because it's purpose built for your bike. You don't have to be an engineer because trust me, I am not, I don't know how to put things together. I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to that stuff, but I could put this together because it's, it's purpose built and it's easy to assemble. Go onto their Instagram, check out ActWorks connection. There's a video an IGTV video that explains all of this. It's really easy. And for a moron like myself, even I can do it. Worksconnection.com. They have all the great products and, and listen, you don't have to take it from me. Go check out the guys they sponsor, Ken Roxon, Justin Brayton. All these guys are using works connection for a reason. Also want to thank 612 suspension. They are a race tech affiliate. They are a longtime friend of me. His dad used to do my suspension, Ronnie Monk, his dad, Ron Monk used to do my suspension. So I know what their family's all about. And I know the quality work that they do. You don't have to be a motocross or supercross rider for him to hook you up. They can do side-by-sides, adventure touring, quads, uh, street bike. What do you have? Power sports industry? He's probably got something that's going to help you. Change your oil, revalve, get you dialed in, at least make your bike work the way it was designed to. It's pretty basic. It's not rocket science. But if you're not doing it, then you're only just doing a disservice to yourself. So check it out. At 612 Suspension. 612suspension.com. And if you mention the industry seating podcast, you get a 20% discount on parts and labor. You're not going to find that deal out there anywhere else. So please reach out to Ronnie Monk, 612suspension.com at 612suspension on Instagram. Also want to thank Fast Foundry. In the same vein of Plum Creek Funding, they're an outside the industry company, but they can absolutely help your company. They are a tech solutions company. They work a lot in automation. They can help modernize. If you're a startup, if you've been around a long time, either way, you probably have a need for fast, fast foundry in your life. 
for me, I, I'm working on some, some startup stuff. I'm one of the founding members of Pulp MX Fantasy. I have this podcast. We're working on some new ideas as well. Stuff like that, Fast Foundry can fast track you to getting where you need to be. They've walked down this road with companies like Intel and Mountain Dew. Pretty sure they've seen the problems that you're going to face long before you even know you're going to face them. So why not be able to avoid some of those difficulties and avoid the pitfalls? That's, that's really what's most important to me is if I can have someone with the insight to avoid mistakes before I make them, all the better because I've made plenty of mistakes in my financial past and business-wise. I don't need to make any more. So I will take every bit of expertise that I can help. And Fast Foundry can absolutely be that for you. So check them out, fastfoundry.com, ask for Robert, and they will absolutely take care of you. Also want to thank Premier Vapor Blasting. Go on their Instagram. It's seriously, I tell you guys this every week. And if you haven't done it, or if you are doing it, go back because they did this set of foot pegs last week. Seriously, they look like they dug them up off the bottom of the ocean somewhere. They are so rusted and so hammered and they do what they do and they look brand new. I mean, they obviously cleaned them and painted them, but they look like they are right off the showroom. And the coolest thing, it makes my job so easy is I can send you to their Instagram and the proof is there. I don't have to sell you on it. I don't have to try to describe it with my poor speaking abilities. The proof is in the pudding right on their Instagram. They show you exactly what they do and they show you exactly what they can do for your motorcycle. So check out at premier vapor blasting. If you mention the industry seating podcast, you get a 25% discount, but there is no better way to restore your motorcycle and make it look brand new. I need to get a damn motorcycle. I need to get a 125. That's really what I want. It's so hot here right now. I don't know. I would probably have to ride at like 7 a.m. But if I was going to buy an older 125, I can promise you the first thing I would do is take my parts off and send it to Premier Vapor Blasting. So check those guys out. They will hook your bike up. Last but not least, Fly Racing. These are my people. Friday, July 31st, the line launches. So the next time we speak, well, next time I speak, the new line will be out. You can go to flyracing.com to check it all out. And there will be a ton of media launching on that day. I've been doing podcasts and, and video um, Zoom meetings and all kinds of stuff. Everybody from Swap Moto Live to Pulp MX to Racer X to Kiefering Testing to Moto Marketing Podcast, Daniel Blair, anywhere you could possibly hear about motorcycle stuff. I think I've been on Motocross Action, Dirt Bike. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. So I'm excited for all that to finally come out this coming Friday, the 31st, and you can see what the 2021 line is all about. Some really cool changes, some some significant upgrades to the line. It's not all just colors and looks. It's actually performance-based this year, which I'm very, very excited about. I think we really took the line to the next level, so please let me know what you think once it comes out on Friday. Thank you to all the sponsors there. And we will get into our last question. So Scott asks, I talked to you a couple weeks ago about when James Stewart landed on me at Houston and it was a, a career defining moment in the beginning of the end for me, which is all true. Absolutely. If you want to go back through the archives, you can kind of hear that story. But he asked, what was I thinking at the time as, as far as what my post-race career was going to be? Could I have guessed that nine years later, I'd be working for fly racing, have my own podcast and be a part of Pulp MX empire. Well, simply put, no, because a lot of those things weren't really on my horizon or I didn't 
even consider them. I, I didn't know what I would be doing. You know, sitting there on the side of the track with my knee, I was pretty sure it was in really bad shape. I was more worried about the short term. I was worried about my financial situation for the next few months. Would I be able to continue racing? Was I going to have to get surgery right away? Which meant, you know, four or five months of no income. Would I have a job, you know, with, uh, Butler brothers MX, which is now Rocky Mountain KTM. Would they keep me for the 2012 season being 32 years old and my results were okay, but you know, I, I wasn't a guarantee. I didn't have another year on my deal. So I, I was certainly much more worried about the near term than I was long term. Did I think I'd be working for fly racing sitting in Boise, Idaho, nine years later? Of course not. I, I had never, ever in my life considered moving to Boise, Idaho before the day that I was offered the job. Not one time had I ever, it, it never even crossed my mind, like ever in any dream world that I would live in Boise. So that's a hard no. I didn't think that. And on the Pulp MX stuff, you know, Mathis was kind of just getting the thing going. I, I thought he was really good at it, you know, and really his claim to fame then were the podcasts, all those podcasts that still live on his network, the Rick Johnson's and Damon Bradshaw's and all those great podcasts going back from those years, the, the heroes of yesteryear, those are really where he was kind of making his name. He was so great at those and, and had such great banter back and forth and asked great questions and was a good listener. And those were, I think, where it all started for him and I, I think how he created his following. And then that really morphed into this monster on Monday nights of the Pulp Show that we all love and listen to. But to think Pulp would be what it is now back then, no, of course not. We had nothing like that in the sport. You know, DMXS was around, but DMXS was nowhere near and still is not where, you know, Pulp MX is now. So, of course, I didn't think that would happen, nor did I think that would be a mainstay for my week. Honestly, you know, for me, having my own podcast that's kind of been a newer revelation because going back to 2012, 2013, Steve wanted me to do a podcast. He wanted for me to expand onto Pulp MX and have my own podcast. And then when I started it, you know, I, I kind of came to the realization that I wanted to do this in November. Steve wasn't that thrilled because we had grown the other shows. You know, we have the race recap on Sunday night. And we have the Pulp MX show on Monday night. And we, we kind of have all these outlets for me to be on. And I think he felt like it was going to detract from those. But once I explained to him, hey, those are still going to live on and hopefully in perpetuity. And this will be my own avenue that I can talk about what I want to. And I can answer listener questions. And yeah, we're going to cover the racing, of course, when we get back to it. But it's, it's going to be my own thing. I think he kind of understood. He still wasn't thrilled, but he understood. He understood that I wanted to have my own voice on my own Avenue. Um, so all of those things were not even really feasible. Like I would have probably laughed if you'd have told me the way things would have shaped out, but I consider myself really lucky. I, I was in the right place at the right time for a few opportunities and things could have gone the other way. The, the concepts, you know, having these podcasts, if I would have been 10 years older, podcast didn't exist. There wouldn't have been this opportunity until maybe I was in my fifties or whatever, right? It's all making the most of the opportunities that present themselves because 10 years from now, who knows where this is going? I have a feeling it will be all video based. 
you know, this YouTube thing is really taking off and the way information is transferred, podcasts may be a thing of the past. I think it will still be some sort of video audio dynamic, but I don't think, you know, that the innovation is just going to slow down. You look at how many views these YouTube channels have and, and Steve in his wisdom was smart enough to jump on the bandwagon. So his YouTube channel has exploded and maybe that's the next step for the industry seating podcast. Maybe I need to, to have a video aspect to it as well. I'm not opposed to it. I don't know that I'm ready for it right this second, but maybe that's where this needs to go too. I would be able to better describe products to you. I'd be able to have a visual aspect and show you exactly what I'm talking about, whether it's, you know, a blends all oil or, um, a works connection product of the week or a fly racing formula helmet. It could be any, anything, right? I could have, um, a before and after picture that I could screen share with you of premier vapor blasting. There are infinite ways that video could, you know, improve the industry seating podcast. So that's very likely that's the direction it could go. Um, but you know, back to the question, no, I had no clue because things are changing so quickly for me to have the foresight of where this would all go and where I would be in my career. And, you know, these other outside interests, I would be just straight up lying. If I said I had even the slightest inkling of what was next, I literally was only worried about how I was going to get paid next week because I thought my knee was just a, you know, a hot garbage mess now. Um, but I'm very, very thankful. I'm thankful to all the people that gave me the opportunities that I have. And it, you know, it's it's such a cliche thing to say, I wouldn't change anything because there are things I would change. I would have made better decisions in certain situations, but I'm very lucky that even the poor decisions I made didn't derail any opportunities that I've made the most of now. So thanks God for the question. I appreciate it. Um, this week's winner of the tires, as I promised you, I was going to give away a set of Pirelli tires is going to be Mark Spillman. He had the very long question earlier about dynamics of the sport and parents and is our system working or broken. Um, it made me think a lot. I had to really actually read it, pause the podcast, thought about it, jotted down a couple notes so I could kind of make sense and, and try to make a well-rounded response but that's, that kind of sends a message of what I'm looking for or questions that make me do a bit of a deep dive and aren't just right off the surface. You ask a question, I give an answer that those are the ones I'm most interested in. And because for me, I like to learn from this podcast, you know, it's not just me talking at you guys. It's hard to have direct engagement because you know, you're sending a question I'm answering and then there's not a back and forth going on. But if I can learn something from either from your question or from the introspection that it forces upon me, then I feel like that's a win because I, I really believe one of the most important aspects for everyone to grow is to continue to learn. And there are so many things that I need to continue to learn, whether it's business wise or just in life or how I engage with people and, and personal and business relationships. That's a never ending process in my opinion. Um, and if, if you think you figured it all out, uh, you're, you're completely lost in my opinion, because some of the smartest people I know are the ones that are constantly searching for what's next and how do I learn and how do I get better and how do I continue to improve? And that's really served them well. So that's, that's kind of a personal quest of mine is to never stop learning 
And I think if I stay down that path, then I'm going to give myself the best chance to be successful in every aspect, whether it's starting a new company or, you know, improving this podcast, listening to what all of you have to say is you, you have to be open to learning. You have to be open-minded and not take yourself so seriously and, and realize that you don't know as much as maybe you think you do. I, I come across that every single day is I, I'll find myself falling into this trap of, man, I, I think I have this really figured out, whatever the topic may be. And then, you know, a day, a week, a month, a year later, I realized there was a lot more to learn and I really had no idea. I thought I knew, but there was this whole other portion of it or a whole nother set of facts that I wasn't aware of that really changed my perspective. So with that in mind, I kind of was refreshed on that this week, side topic, because I saw, I was watching stuff on um, financials and stock market and Basically, the, the point was that it's okay to change your mind. If the facts change, if a company or a situation isn't as good or the opportunity is not there like it once was, it's okay to change your mind. Just because you thought an industry or an idea was the right one at the time, maybe it's not now because things do change. And the ability to change your mind along with it and to adapt and to pivot is critically important. So I, I really learned that this week and I'm going to try to apply that to both my personal and professional life. So congratulations, Mark. I will be in touch via email for those tires. Remember next week is the formula helmet giveaway. It will coincide with the launch of 2021 fly racing. So jump on that. And last but not least, the last point I'll make on this is, uh, that Patreon idea that I have going the first podcast that I'm going to do for Patreon will be Saturday morning, August 15th. That is the morning of the first national at Loretta Lynn's. And what it is, is Patreon is a program where you basically sign up and there's a small fee per month and you get exclusive content and it's uploaded directly to the Patreon site, which is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash industry seating. And you can search for it in the search tab there as well. But you will get exclusive content every Saturday morning before the race. And it's going to be my personal insight of what's going to happen. It's going to be predictions. It's going to be fantasy advice. It's going to be based on the weather, based on who I think rides which tracks well, uh, what suits their particular uh, their motorcycle. So there's a lot of insight that I'm going to try to share with you guys to make the best fantasy picks and just help your overall race day experience. Things to watch for, who had big crashes who's feeling well, who's fighting with their team, who's looking for a ride, you know, who could be more motivated than someone else, because that's a real thing. Contract year in moto is a real thing. Guys are more motivated or less motivated or willing to take more chances than some other guys, especially towards the end of the season. That that's a fact. Uh, so check it out. Patreon.com slash industry seating, obviously no obligation, but I would love to have your support if you are so inclined. Thanks already for listening this week. 46 minutes. I guess it just wasn't as short as I thought it would be, but I appreciate everybody listening. Thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks to you. And I will talk to you next Sunday. See ya.